evidence and answers. The majority of scientists today believe the universe had a beginning. This event, when time, matter, and energy exploded into being, is known as the Big Bang. Many Christians are troubled by this theory, but this actually presents a powerful case for the existence of God. At the 2023 Evidence and Answers Conference, Christian philosopher Dr. Richard Howe explains how the origin of the universe builds a compelling case for the existence of God. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today's teaching is taken from the 2023 Evidence and Answers Apologetics Conference. Pat hosts this conference each year and brings out Christian scientists and speakers from across the country. Dr. Richard Howe spoke about the evidence for God. Now let's get right to part one of this fascinating discussion. Maybe some people here can kind of get to know you a little bit better. All right. Tell me briefly in 20 seconds or less. Fewer. Fewer. No, so I just that is true. Why did you choose to come, become a Christian, and how, how did that happen? So I wasn't raised in the church, even though I was born and reared in the Bible Belt. I got led to Christ by high school friends when I was 16, went off to a Christian college and lost my faith. And it was apologetics that brought me back to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. So that's why apologetics means so much to me. Teacher or a friend or? So it was a combination, but primarily my two oldest brothers who had gotten saved right around the time I did, but they were already adults. So they matured in the Lord a lot quicker than I did as a pinheaded teenager. And uh, they helped me uh, through that dark time of uh, struggling with my faith as a stumbling college student. Well, we're so excited that you're here with us. And I believe you're talking about evidence of God. Is that correct? Before you start, is there anything we can pray for you about? Just pray for the weekend that God will have his way and that he'll be glorified over and in spite of sometimes some of the speakers. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, thank you for Richard, Dr. Howe, and we thank you for his opportunity to share here at the conference to edify many believers here, to help give us tools for our faith, to equip us, to help us to know the questions that we should be asking or even how to answer them, Lord. Please bless his family. Please bless his, um, his mind and his words that he says. We ask, God, that you would just help him to bless us also, God. Thank you for using him in this ministry. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please give a hand right. for Dr. Richard Howe. So a couple of housekeeping things. This Rebecca and I are from North Georgia, right around the Atlanta area. We tell people we're from Atlanta. This is what that area looks like in the fall. Maybe not often enough, but every once in a while, that's a picture just north of where we live. So when I have the privilege of speaking at conferences like this, uh, most of my time is in the classroom. And I put together PowerPoints, probably not unlike a lot of you who teach, but invariably there are more slides in a given presentation than we want to take time to go through. Various quotes from a number of sources, maybe one quote will do so you can skip a lot. But I want to show you a way where you can get a PDF document off the slide, just a slide deck. And there are two reasons you want to do that at least. One, as I just mentioned, there may be a number of slides that I end up skipping for the sake of time. Uh, and so you can go get the deck and, and check out the additional quotes or whatever. The other reason is that there may be some slide that is a, a resource, let's say, and it goes by too fast. You didn't quite get what page was that on or what was that source. You go get the slide deck, you can, you can get that. I will warn you, and you can get slide decks that I'll show you in a moment that, where you can get them of other presentations that I've had the privilege of putting together and doing. 
Uh, and so you're welcome to all of those, but I will warn you, it's very likely that if you get a slide deck of one of my presentations and you didn't hear the lecture, then there might be slides in there that it isn't obvious, you know, isn't obvious what the point was, right? Because you didn't hear the lecture. So that's actually tempted me to just stick in totally irrelevant pictures <laughs> in the middle of it so somebody could go, so Richard, uh, we're looking at your argument for God's existence there. And what, what is that papaya argument for God's existence there? Because <laughs> we really love papaya around here. And I'll go, why are you talking to me through your glasses? That's what I want to know. I didn't give this job to chimps, you know. All right. So what you'll want to do is go to richardghow.com. Don't leave the G out. Stands for good looking. For some reason, Hugh, everybody laughs when I say it stands for good looking. I'm not sure what's funny about that, but nevertheless. And you will see across the top, it won't do the little hand, but you'll see a tab there that says resources, right? So when you pick, pick that, you got these resources. Now, if you hear me say anytime today or tomorrow, hey, I've got a paper on my website, you'd go there to paper, and there may be things I've written, things other people have written, links to things on theology, philosophy, apologetics, and these kind of things. Same thing with multimedia. If I say hey, I've got an MP3, MP4 that people have done, links to things, Bible, theology, apologetics, or whatever. Things that I've done at my church, Midway Community Church, I bring you greetings from Midway Community Church in Alpharetta, Georgia. They've been praying for several weeks, actually longer than that, Rebecca, I guess, right? For this conference in particular, our trip out here and our ministry here. So the saints there have been following closely uh, what's been going on. But the one that's most relevant is the, this one right there. I just want to hear that again. Can I just do that off and on during the lecture? Well, especially if there's like a room next and they've got a conference going on at the same time. I boosh, boosh, anyway, you click on that. It'll take you to a list of slide decks. There's probably scores of them. They're alphabetized more or less. So the one that's most relevant would be in this stack on general apologetics. So you can see the bottom there on theism, and it'd be basically some of, the, some of those there. So that's just more and more of the same thing out of the class that I teach. But... Because I love you guys so much. What I did was just create, and by the way, I forgot to warn you, if you're a web developer, my website's pretty cheesy. Okay, it's real static, but I think the links work and everything. But what I did is just create a separate page. So you see the little badge off to the right there, because the big one there will probably be gone in a few days as I update the front page. But that one's going to stay there as a little sidebar. If you click on that badge, then you'll just get to our page and stuff. So you see the evidence and answers part. That's the presentation that I'm doing today and tomorrow, the two presentations. We also had the privilege of being on Molokai before we came to Oahu. Rebecca spoke to the women's group at Molokai Baptist Church with Dr. Randy Manley. Some of you may know uh, Pastor Randy. And then I preached Sunday morning. Well, I don't know if preached is the right word, but at any rate, whatever, I, whatever it is I do when I get to talk in the Sunday morning. Uh, so you can get those there. That's a, there's a video there of Rebecca's testimony and how God has used her condition. You see her walking with crutches. She loves to tell you what that condition is. It's not contagious, but God has used that in her life to minister to so many people. So you can get a brief testimony there and such. And then there are other things that I put up that I thought you might find interesting, other presentations, just to make it easier than scrolling through the, the long, long list as you go through. And I would be remiss if I didn't do a plug for my seminary. Anybody else? James, you can plug Talbot next time you're up, wherever you, okay, you might sure you want to do that. But if you go to ses.edu slash professor, you can, get, you can download a free ebook, The Three Hurdles of Sharing the Gospel. So that's free. So I invite you to do that. 
Some time ago, a very famous Time magazine, or at least it became famous, the cover, I actually bought this. I found it on the internet used. I saw it so many times revealed or referenced in apologetic literature, God is God dead? And what it was talking about was how the intelligentsia in American academics was beginning to regard the concept of God as really not viable and not much explanatory hypothesis of a, of a explanatory hypothesis. didn't really explain much. And so they thought maybe this sort of category has outlived its usefulness and we need to move on from that. What doesn't get as much airtime, however, is the follow-up just a few issues later, is God coming back to life? Because no sooner had they pronounced God dead, they started realizing, wait a minute, there's, there's this uh, curious resurgence of theism beginning to take place in American academics. And again, this is what this article was about. Of course, I love, uh, you know, what I think is probably the best thing about being an atheist is just being able to sleep in on Sundays. I don't know whose idea it was to have church early on Sunday, you know, back a long time, long time ago, but nevertheless. So Immanuel Kant said, two things filled the mind with ever new and increasing admiration and awe. The oftener, more steadily we reflect upon them. The starry heavens above me and the moral law within me. Just a few terms so that we can all be on the same page here. So a few terms just to make sure we're on the same page. You're probably familiar with the word theism from the Greek word theos, meaning God. It's a worldview that affirms the existence of God. It's the view that says God exists. you got various combining forms of the word theism. Monotheism, there's only one God. Polytheism, there's many gods. Pantheism, all is God. Panentheism, all is in God. Agnosticism, maybe a more familiar term to most people, from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge, with this negation the alpha privative, meaning not or no. So it's the suspension of judgment. Technically, it could be a suspension of judgment on anything, anything that you didn't have knowledge about. You could say you were agnostic. I don't really know what I think about that. But more often, as we would say in Mississippi, where I grew up, 99 times out of 10, when you hear somebody say, I am an agnostic, they probably mean they're agnostic with respect to God's existence. So it's, some, it's the view that says, I don't know whether God exists or not. And probably the most familiar, perhaps, of these terms is atheism. Same Greek root word, theos, with the same negation there. That's the worldview that denies the existence of God. It's the view that says God does not exist. Now, I'm here to give some evidence for God, but I just need to say this much about atheism just so you'll be aware of it. And maybe if you have some questions in this regard, we can deal with those during the Q&A. Although I usually lobby when I'm asked to be at a conference, say, would you do, be willing to do Q&A? I go, you know, we really should just do Q because you get a whole lot more questions in if you just do the Q and just skip all the A. See that? So it saves, saves a lot of time, but no, they never listen to me. Because something needs to be said more and more about this definition of atheism and this redefinition that atheists are opting for. Just a few JPEGs off the internet. Atheism, a lack of belief in the existence of God. I am an atheist. You claim God exists. I don't believe you. That's really, it's all really that simple. So atheist George Smith, in his debate with Christian philosopher Greg Bonson, it was a radio debate you can hear on the, on, uh, on the internet. I think it's on YouTube. Uh, and George Smith said, there is no atheist worldview. Let's be clear about that. Atheism is simply the absence of a belief in God. So get the subtlety here. It's the distinction between someone saying, I believe God does not exist versus I don't believe that God does exist. The former is a negation of God. The latter is a negation of the belief now, I've got a number of other quotes from contemporary atheists all trying to make this same point. 
But let me get to the punchline. What's at stake in this definition? Because you'll hear this a lot on the internet where atheists saying, no, no, I'm not saying that God doesn't exist. I'm just lacking a belief that he does exist. Well, Dan Barker, whom I've debated twice, former Christian by his testimony, and now atheist or agnostic, he says, theists claim that there is a God. Atheists do not. In any argument, the burden of proof is, the one make, is on the one making the claim. This is really what's at stake. What the atheists in this sort of mindset want to do is say, if nobody says anything, we're all atheists. And you only become a theist at some point in your life. So atheism, in their view, is the default setting, if you will. And so the theist bears 100% of the burden of proof. Well, there's a lot to be said about issues of burden of proof in formal debate versus semi-formal debate and all that kind of stuff. We'll skip that, and again, we can deal with some of these things in the Q&A if you want. But let me just make a few responses to that before we turn to the positive case. What can be said about this attempt to redefine atheism? Well, first of all, I would submit to you, I submit a lot of things, I suggest a lot of things when I talk, I defend very few things, that way I can get away with it in the, in the time that we have. So let me suggest to you that this is a verbal sleight of hand that they're doing. Go back to George Smith, his book, Atheism, the Case Against God. I teach a course at the seminary on contemporary atheism. This is the book that I require for popular level atheism, that is non-technical, just sort of lay level treatment. Not that he's not technical or not capable, but he's writing at a cookies on the bottom shelf, as, as we would say. And George Smith says, as used throughout this book, theism signifies the belief in any god or number of gods. The prefix a means without. So the term atheism literally means without theism. So far, so good. Or without a belief in a gods or gods. Well, now, wait a minute. Where did you get the negation a negating the belief rather than negating God. Nothing warrants that whatsoever. And I've got example after example of theists right within the same paragraph go, well, ah, theism without God. Therefore, atheism is without a belief in God. And they just go on and go, where did you get that? You don't get it from anywhere because that's not what the word means. So it's a verbal, if you will, slight of, slight of hand going on. And it's not just popular atheists. Even academic atheists are starting to do this, like Michael Martin from Boston University. In, uh, who edited the Cambridge Companion to the Atheism, which is also a textbook I use in the atheism class. But second, this definition conflicts with the standard academic definition of atheism. I'll give you one example. Paul Edwards, who was an atheist and is a philosopher, says, according to the most usual definition, an atheist is a person who maintains that there is no God. That is, that the, exist, that the sentence, God exists, expresses a false proposition. And again, I have several from other academic atheists, Theodore Drains from West Virginia University, Graham Oppie from Australia, and such. But third, the definition entails an absurdity, if not an outright contradiction. The absurdity is that if this is the definition of atheism, then atheism could be true and God still exists. In other words, could it be true that there's a lack of belief in God and there still be a God? Well, of course, there's lots of lacks of beliefs in God, right? Including George Smith. So in other words, atheism would be completely indifferent to the question of God's existence. Does that even make sense? Is that the most absurd thing? That atheists are just indifferent as to whether there is or isn't a God? But that's what would, be, uh, that's what would follow given that definition. The contradiction would be that theism and its opposite, atheism, could both be true at the same time. That's actually a contradiction, a logical contradiction. And contradictions can't both be true at the same time, and contradictions can't both be false at the same time. 
They're always opposite. If one's true, the other's false. If one's false, the other's true. The Bible has a lot to say about the, the existence of God. And I'm going to just kind of skip some of those. You're probably familiar with like Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, for example, or Romans 2, the works of the law are written on the heart, or various passages throughout that talks about God's revealing himself through providence and creation in various kinds of ways. My area, as James uh, mentioned, is philosophy. My PhD is in philosophy. And I'll be a little bit more in my wheelhouse tomorrow's talk, has science refuted miracles and the supernatural? But tonight what I want to do is, if you will, give a summation of some of the evidence that scientists use, not philosophers. I mean, philosophers may use them, but I'm saying they're, the content it comes from the disciplines of the sciences for the existence of God. Now, there are various kinds of arguments for God's existence. You've got a teleological, cosmological, these kinds of things. They're all outlined in the presentation. I invite you to just get the slide deck. You can go through all of those. But I want to just set up a caveat here at the beginning. Strengths and weaknesses of the scientific arguments. And they're not just weaknesses of the scientific arguments. The concomitant would be also a strength or a weakness of their philosophical counterparts. The strengths, as I see it, as, and I'm not a scientist, if you haven't figured that part out. I'm not a scientist. Hugh is the scientist here, and there may be other scientists here. So I have to defer to their expertise when it comes to the debate. I might give a quote from somebody, and somebody may challenge that, and I might have one more quote, but if they challenge that, I go, mm, go ask Hugh. Uh, go ask Dr. Ross about that. So one of the strengths is the, scient the scientific arguments appeal to the common sense notion that something can only begin to exist by being caused to exist. One of the arguments will say the universe began to exist. Whatever begins to exist has a cause, therefore the universe has a cause, so it's something beyond the universe. I think most of the time people go, well, that sounds like God to me and such. And so this idea of the coming into existence and needing a cause seems to be a, a normal common sense kind of thing. Well, the science can traffic in that common sense notion with the heavy data of high-level science, including the astronomy and astrophysics and tensor calculus. That sounds like something you'd need surgery for. I've got a tensor calculus right here in this right shoulder there. No, no, no. I just learned that phrase just, just this week. Another strength is they also appeal, that is the scientific argument, to common sense notion that anything that exhibits the sufficient evidence of design is likely caused by an intelligence. So if you see John loves Mary scrolled in the sand on the beach, you're going to assume that either John or Mary or somebody trying to get one of them in trouble scrolled that into the beach, not that the waves and the, and, you know, and the wind somehow carved that out. And so intelligent design of some sort bespeaks of an intelligence these arguments benefit from the academic and social and other kinds of clout enjoyed by contemporary science. So in the Middle Ages, the worst thing you could say about somebody is that they were a heathen, and they fell out of favor with the church authorities. Today, the worst thing you can say about what somebody thinks is it's unscientific, and they've fallen out of favor with the, with the scientists. So we as Christians can take advantage of that by showing how the very science that sometimes tries to be marshaled against the Christian faith actually gives the case for the Christian faith. And so we, we're glad that there are scientists among us who can do that. And they generally, that is the scientific arguments, avoid trafficking the technicalities of academic philosophy, which are less familiar than the general categories of the sciences. In my experience, like when I've heard uh, Dr. Ross speak, we've been together at many conferences and other scientists, Fuzz Rana, for example, on, uh, at Reasons to Believe, and they can get into the technicalities of their respective sciences, but they're also able to, to get to the sort of punchline at a lay level. And then if you want the technicalities, they'll give you 
Here's where you get the paper, that kind of stuff. But you could at least understand, or at least I think most of us can understand it at that sort of lay level. And then if you want to delve deeply, that's pretty much impossible with some of the philosophy. Even the stuff that's just the categories are so unfamiliar. If somebody said, well, Richard, give me Aquinas' argument for God's existence. Well, then I'm trying to, well, we got to talk about act and potency, substance, accidents, essence, existence, essay, all these kind of classical Greek philosophical terms. By that time, the... The guys over there like that, going, well, I forgot what I asked. I don't think I want to know. Now, what are some of the weaknesses? Well, in my opinion as a philosopher, without further argument, the arguments by and large don't prove that the cause of the universe still exists. Now, there may be some since I made this slide that do do that. But in my experience, the Kalam argument proves at least at the time that it was a cause of the universe, it existed. But whether it still exists today, you would give supplemental arguments to do that. Without further arguments, they do not demonstrate that the cause of the universe is God, at least in the classical theism. Where's David at? Right, where are you, brother? Okay, so we just had a great conversation about this Thursday night. Was it Thursday night? So the classical attributes of God, the superlative attributes of God, I don't think it delivers those the way classical philosophy may do. And I'll hint a little bit about what that looks like in my talk uh, tomorrow. Without further arguments, they do not demonstrate that the universe, oh, so classical theism, I made that emphasis there, that just is the, the God of, uh, that has these superlative attributes, simplicity, immutability, impassibility, omniscience, immateriality, all good, all wise, all powerful, timeless, spaceless, immaterial, those kinds of things, which, by the way, are fading away in contemporary evangelicalism. So one of the slide decks you might want to get is one titled, God Fading Away where I try to document a fairly consistent picture of the classical theism from the church fathers until about the 17th century. And then you start seeing this trail off where various attributes, even among evangelicals, are now starting to be fade away. Omniscience went away not too many decades ago with the open theism, the rise of open theism and its prevalence in, in contemporary evangelical thinking, and then others as well. So you can get that deck. Now, there are also my weaknesses in this regard. Certain aspects of the science are disputed, uh, understandably. Uh, Hugh was just uh, enlightening some of us about uh, some scientists might think that the universe is much older than the 13.7 billion years that they think that it is into the quadrillions of years. So that's a, that's a debate. So when there are such disputes, and they can get technical, they're beyond the knowledge of non-scientists like me. I can't referee that debate. You know, well, I just can't. So having said that then, let's look at a little bit of evidence from the sciences regarding the existence of God. Probably the most utilized one are arguments that point to the fact that the universe began to exist a finite time ago. Now, given that there is a universe, and if you are talking to somebody and you're trying to share your faith, and they're not sure whether there is a universe you might want to turn around and run as far away as you can, all right? You know, what do you say to somebody that thinks you're in the matrix? I said, well, we used to call that insane when people weren't sure whether they were or weren't in the matrix. So as a philosopher, I, I resent the fact that once the matrix came out, a whole bunch of people thought they were starting to do philosophy. And I said, the only reason why the matrix puzzle works is because you're in the theater watching the movie. You're not in the movie. And the fact that you're in the theater watching the movie is already proven that you're not in the matrix. But anyway, that's another. <laughs> but given that there's a universe, then it either has a beginning or it doesn't. It either, if it has a beginning, it's either caused or it's not. And if it's caused, that cause is either personal or not. 
Now, the person who brought this argument really to the forefront in recent decades is a hero of mine, William Lane Craig, and his book, The Kalam Cosmological. There you go. James and you and Dr. Craig are like this, aren't you? And that's his James way down here. And And this is Bill Craig, and I'm not sure who this guy is, but whatever, how he got there. You'll probably see a more modern cover there from Wiffenstock. And so he formulates a syllogism, the universe began to exist, whatever begins to exist has a cause, therefore the universe uh, has a cause. Our time for today has come to a close. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Would you or your church be interested in having Pat speak or host an apologetics conference? Just give him a call in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And while you're there on our website, take a look around. We have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. Use our search engine for available resources. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio free to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to partner with us, you can find a link to donate on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Zucran.